0: October 24, 1.30 a.m. A A warning. If you are hearing these words, then my attempts to set right what I have unleashed upon the world have failed. I had come to this studio three days ago for peace and quiet, to research the recently unearthed Pegranomicon X mountis the Book of the Pegs. But my wife, ever restless, found some old internet radio tapes in a store cupboard, began listening to them to while away the hours as I worked. Something to do with old TV shows or some such. I could hear her laughing through the walls. But as early as the next day, I could tell something was wrong. My wife listened to more episodes, shrieking with maniacal laughter. She began to get things wrong. Basic facts that could have been verified quite quickly beforehand. And the swearing. The swearing. My God, I'd never heard anything like it. By sundown, she had a craving for porch like I'd never seen and was a babbling mess. I couldn't calm her down. She went on and on about steps up the mountain and pegs on the line and... In a moment of madness, I killed her and buried her in the podcast cellar. God help me. I buried her in the pod cellar. Coming up on tonight's
1: fine podcast. The only sort of hang up I have at the beginning of this is uh-huh. the film's title card has a question mark after the word party yes but the posters don't no I know oh, can, yeah, we, I can we can we have a bit of consistency please
2: go back to Phyllis Diller um, there's a voice yes it's a voice of pure cigarettes that <laughs>
1: You're different, you're di- I don't have any real lyrics of this And if I did, I wouldn't be able to perform them properly anyway So who yields two minutes of nails down a blackboard? I, 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 you're different
2: Garlic for vampires, it's wolfsbane for werewolves I know all about it myself there. Hello and welcome to the first of this year's annual Halloween happenings from the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr Velvet. I'm Blackout. And we're here to creep quietly into the crypt and clap at a spooky season's cinematic delight.
1: Yes, hello to you and thank you for shambling into our devilish deconstructive digest of scary cinema, where Britain's best-loved battle axe is but a floorboard creek away, because here all roads lead to the mountain. If you go over to peggymountpod.com, info for the film we're discussing is in the show notes. You can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello, or ask us why we haven't been committed to an asylum yet. Before we bring years of painstaking research to a questionable version of finality as everything falls apart behind the scenes, Dr. Velvet, I've got to ask, what are you drinking?
2: I'm currently the heavy metal sleeveless denim top with the denim jacket because I'm drinking Iron Maiden Trooper Ale. Nice. There you go. <laughs> and it's, you know what? It's all right, this. I it mean,. Is. I shall not be running to the hills to get another bottle. <laughs> but I've had worse. I've had worse. Yourself?
1: Uh, I'm in a spooky mood with a bottle of Hocus Pocus by the Lodden Brewery in Redden. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I haven't had
2: that. Any particular flavourings to it? Is that written on the bottle anywhere? Or It's
1: a, sort of like a 4.6% traditional dark ale, so it should be fairly straightforward.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if Good. I collapse
1: right in under the desk... In a short while, we'll know that there's something more there.
2: Speaking of more than meets the eye, so to tonight's trick-or-treat and to the swinging 60s for a stop-motion extravaganza featuring old-school Hollywood monsters on the piss somewhere in the Pacific Ocean. To be honest, I don't think there's any more that needs to be said. <laughs>
1: Mad Monster Party is a 1967 full-length stop animation feature film from legendary producers Rankin Bass. It was written by Len Korobkin, Harvey Kurtzman and Arthur Rankin, directed by Jules Bass, created in part to cash in on the resurgence in popularity of the Universal Studios horror characters thanks to genre buddies The Munsters and The Addams Family. Featuring the voices of Boris Karloff, Gail Garner, Phyllis Diller and Alan Swift, the story revolves around Baron Frankenstein and his assistant Francesca. They're throwing a party to celebrate his perfection of the formula of total destruction and to announce his retirement from the worldwide organisation of monsters. Opening the invites and plotting a voyage to the Isle of Evil are Count Dracula, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, the Mummy, the Werewolf, the Creature, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, the Invisible Man and, most importantly, Baron Frankenstein's mild-mannered bumbling nephew, Felix.
2: So let's turn the clock back here because I remember watching this when I was about seven years old. Ah, okay. And we must have had a black and white TV at the time. Well, well, actually, if I'm honest, we had two TVs. So I must have watched this in the dining room. The dining room was the black and white TV because I was convinced this was a black and white film. Anyway. Mm -hmm. um, And then I remember about 10, 15 years ago thinking... What the hell was that film? Where all of the Hollywood monsters were on an island. They were, they were together. What yeah. was that all about? It took me a while digging around in the internet and finally I found it, got a DVD copy of it, and there we are. I love this at seven years old. Mm-hmm. Now, is this your first viewing of this?
1: No, I saw this. Um, Channel 4 showed it in... 1994. It was at like half one in the morning or something. Um, Uh I was up and managed to tune in after it had already started. So I had no fucking idea what this was. Um, I put in a tape after about 20 minutes just so that I could check the next day that I hadn't been hallucinated. You know, I was in all likelihood in an advanced state of refreshment at the time. But it was only the the actual ad break title cards that even gave me the title of it. But Uh yeah, pretty much the same. Like, what on earth is this? This is Mm -hmm. insane
2: Yeah I I mean, essentially It's rockabilly horror With puppets and Phyllis Diller Yes, yes And, I mean, that in itself (laughs) There's a recipe For a good 90 minutes
1: Do you know what I mean? The only sort of hang-up I have at the beginning of this is Uh The film's title card Has a question mark after the word party Yes, but the posters don't. No, I know. Oh, yeah, can we, I can we can we have a bit of consistency, please? Because if this is how we're starting... But yeah.
2: There we go, there we go. But to be honest, right from the start, I adore the feel and the tone to this.
1: This is the thing. I know we've said it about other shows that we've covered, but Tim Burton was nine years old when this film came out. And uh-huh. if this doesn't leap out as a direct formative influence on the work he'd go on to bring us, I don't fucking know what does.
2: Agreed. Absolutely. Absolutely. The imagery, the aesthetic, the whack. It's beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful.
1: Uh there's a little bit when we um when we first meet Felix and he's working in the um in a drugstore in the pharmacy department, mm-hmm. the other characters around him, like the normal characters like his boss, Mr. Cronkite, and the mailman who comes in, that look that they've got that's the usual Rankin-Bass look. Yeah. So when you watch like their Christmas featurettes, that's how they look there. Everything mm-hmm. they've made for the monsters is kind of new territory for them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's quite beautifully done.
2: Ah, oh. and I'll tell you something else. Such attention to detail right from the start.
1: This is what I've got, yeah. It's like the actual model making. Detailed as fuck. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. The stop animation, really expressive, but it's still not too flash. It's not. It's clunky. It's it's a nice way of saying that in some places it looks crap. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I definitely get the feeling that they didn't have a chance to retake any scenes when they hadn't quite figured out what they were doing here. Sure. In the in the uh, very opening scene in Frankenstein's laboratory, the camera starts off up high. We get this gorgeous swooping crane shot as it comes down to him. Mhm. And then it just stops dead because they had no plan for slowing the camera to a gradual halt. <laughs> and you like yeah. Okay, this this wouldn't have been highlighted until they're actually watching the footage back, and by this point, it's taken them weeks, weeks and weeks and weeks mm. to put this together. There's no possibility of them redoing that entire shot again at nah. all. So now
2: nah, you know they sat there in the in the little in the rush room, going, "I ah, wish I'd done this anyway." Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, story wise, it also appeals. Especially at that time when I was about seven Mm -hmm. I was obsessed at that time With old school horror The universal monsters, etc And I was collecting the creature feature cards Mm -hmm. That were available Bubblegum cards, if you like And you'd get about four or five in a pack And they were still shots From the old universal horror films Mm -hmm. But they'd have a a witty caption beneath them Yeah One that sticks in my mind Particularly was a caption from the 1926 Phantom of the Opera silent movie with Lon Chaney. And he stood there in the the scene where he makes his reappearance. If you're a fan of the musical, act two. And he stood there in the skeleton mask, and it says just beneath it, my girdle is killing me. (laughs) That's always stuck with me for whatever reason. (laughs) But, but yeah, um, the idea of all of these monsters getting together and hanging out... Blew again, my mind. Yeah, again, it's like Marvel, isn't it? It is. It is. Blew Beautiful. my mind. Loved it. I had of course forgotten that this was a musical. We'll we'll get onto that, but yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I think their greatest claim to fame here is that they've actually got Boris Karloff to voice yeah. Bar- Boris von Frankenstein. Yeah. Um I'm not I'm a fan of old school horror, but I'm not a scholar of it. So I'm not really familiar with Karloff's speaking voice, because a lot of the time he just turn up and you know, he turned up bit a costume grunt, and that'd be him, sort of thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, we get him, because he's playing the um, the professor, the doctor in this. We get a lot of him just doing normal, normal speech. I do love that if you were to throw open the matter transporter and throw in this guy. Since you are reluctant to provide us with the location of the rebel base, I have chosen to test this station's destructive power on your home planet of Alderaan. And while you have the door open, if you also nudge in this guy...
0: The sand people are easily startled, but they'll soon be back, and in greater numbers.
1: In the pod at the other end of the room, this guy would step out. Oh, you know, seeing you every day gives me a great deal of pleasure. If I must say so myself, you are a masterpiece. Mind you, not wrong. It's beautiful. His, his voice is absolutely beautiful. He just sounds... I I would sit on his knee and he could read me a story. That'd be mint.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you, you you bang on there. I mean, a, a quintessential Karloff is the guy who sings the Monster Mash. He's doing an impression of Karloff there. Okay, right. That's how people really rec- recognise Karloff. okay you. Yeah, That's okay. how they know him. Um, but uh, he's toned it down for this, which is I think he needs to. He did, he got that right. As did, let me tell you, the rest of the of the vocal cast. Good God,
1: we got Karloff mm-hmm. as noted. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got Gail Garnett, who's doing the voice of Francesca, the uh, the professor's assistant.
2: What a voice. We've
1: got Phyllis Diller, who's being... He was just named as the monster's mate. Her character doesn't get a name. That's fine. Mm. Then we've got Alan Swift, who voices everybody else. Yeah.
2: It's amazing. It is, isn't it? Go back to Phyllis Diller, um, there's a voice. Yes. It's a voice of pure cigarettes, that... <laughs>
1: I get that when he's doing Felix, Alan Swift, he's making some sort of joke by making him sound like James Stewart.
2: Yeah, and I don't get the relevance of it being James Stewart, but whatever.
1: But yeah, it's like, how come his animated character looks like in his late teens, but sounds about 50? Yes. he's gone. yes, this'll yeah. work? Um, <laughs> does, does this sound like the voice of an 18-year-old boy to you? No. Uh, <laughs> right. Unless, unless it's a sly dig to that bit in It's a Wonderful Life, where James Stewart's character has a flashback to when he was in high school and looks precisely no fucking different. This, this well is be. not the platform for having that dig. You'd do that in a Christmas movie, <laughs> but fine. <laughs> yeah, 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 but maybe, yeah. And yeah, you're right, then we're... Um, after the, the opening bit, where the Baron sends out the invitations, he perfects his formula, sends out the invitations, nice little sort of scene where... We're introduced to all the characters as they receive the invitations through the mm-hmm. mail and various sort of scenes or whatever. Then we're back at the castle, and yes, the real horror starts with
2: Phyllis Diller's voice. Are you? I mean, were you familiar with Phyllis Diller? Only as a name and effectively
1: like a punchline, to jokes on the TV. Sure, she was yeah. never that big a name in the UK, but we knew who she was. Uh-huh. We knew, you know, we knew we knew of her, but it's not like she would yeah. turn up on Blankety Blank every week or whatever.
2: No, that's um, right. I mean, I, I'm I am familiar with it because I do like to dip into the the world of um, American 60s and 70s TV yes, culture. Yes, yes. Obviously, she's a big name on that. Uh-huh. Uh, she featured as a guest on... When the Scooby-Doo movies used to feature um, special guests like Laurel and Hardy, Sonny and Cher, Batman right. and Robin. They also featured Phyllis Diller. Um, oh, just as herself. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, they did a lot of that. Um, but... Um,
1: until we get to the, the end and Fred's like Now let's find out who Phyllis Diller really is And they basically just end up pulling her face off And she's like it's me man, it's me uh-huh. <laughs>
2: Phyllis Diller um,
1: This is the thing right This film is not great as a musical But She gets all of the worst songs and then ruins them Completely, her opening number Is the mm. absolute Worst kind of filler
2: Yeah It's not uh, good is it uh, uh,
1: you're different. You're. Di- I don't have any real lyrics of this, and if I did, I wouldn't be able to perform them properly anyway. So who yields two minutes of nails down a blackboard? I, 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 you're different. Good God. Yeah. The rot started to set in at that early stage. I've got to. Uh, I've got to admit. Okay. We've probably, I've probably upset all of the goths in the audience now. Whatever. Oh, well. <laughs>
2: Yeah, we have a nice little um, we have a Velma moment with Felix, Velma Mm -hmm. from Scooby Doo moment. Yeah, and this actually preempts Scooby Doo. It does. Uh, I've
1: got notes on that later. Yes.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Because this film is nineteen sixty-seven. Scooby Doo was sixty-nine, and Felix bumps into someone on the ship. He's he's on the Borum. And he's crawling about all over the place. I, I can't see without my glasses. Where no, are my, my glasses? My, my
1: glasses are off. Who's that? Oh, it's a werewolf. I think it's a
2: lady. That's the joke. Do you know what I mean? Uh, incidentally, talking about that, the standard of the humour, the standard of the jokes, uh, all I'll say is, if you... I mean, th- uh, this film was produced, as you mentioned in your your little prologue, um, this is hot off the back of the Adams Family and the Monsters and a resurgence in the interest of the Hollywood monsters. That's what. That's why this film exists. Yeah. If you like the monsters, you'll love this for the quality of jokes.
1: It's very reliant on puns. I don't necessarily dislike that. Either there's no, a don't... snapshot of the time or even now. It's mm-hmm. something that you could quite easily sit your kids down in front of. They'll have a great time with it, you know. You wouldn't yeah. walk in the room, find them watching this, and be like, shit, shit, turn it off. Nah, it's fine.
2: Yeah, that's right. Every horror... Humour, cliche is in here. Yeah. Uh, so that's fine, but you get that with the monsters. Um, mm-hmm. It's that reactionary, observational sort of humour. Yeah. That's fine. Um, so, you know, if you were trying to describe this film to anyone else, it's the monsters with puppets. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's not unfair. A romp, really. There's nothing groundbreaking in, in the dialogue, in the script at all. However, one criticism I have is this the pacing of this film is glacial yes
1: <laughs> well the first half hour is alright because you intri- all of the characters get introduced like three times Mm-hmm. that's fine I can cope with that it's because it, you know you're enjoying the animation you're sort of enjoying the slight uh, the slapstick to the best they can animate that you're enjoying the puns that's fine but it kind of it feels like it slows a bit once everybody actually gets to the island we'll get to that yeah yeah. We're, um, we finally get to the castle where apparently the the boat, the SS Herring, it gets halfway over the ocean. All of the bad guys just jump out and swim to the island. That's not properly explained, but fine, whatever. Bear in mind the well, boat I... said it was taking them there and then didn't take them there.
2: Yeah, I was a bit confused by that because I, I thought, okay, I get the logic of why they're jumping ship because that boat won't specifically be going to the island. They'll be going past the island, maybe, and... I guess, the, but our literally horror characters literally everyone that, who's
1: gone on the boat says, take me to
2: the Isle of Evil.
1: Nah, and at no go. point did the captain and his little assistant fellow go, we can't stop there, there's not a dock. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, <laughs> well. Yeah. Anyway, eventually we are back in the castle. Um, we meet the Baron's zombie minions and his manservant, Yetch, who is the Peter Lorre pastiche for the film. Isn't he? Now, he works in the context of the film itself but all of Yetch's scenes feel like cheap filler.
2: Yeah, they not, do. Not and quite
1: as annoying as Phyllis Diller, but, you know. And yeah, I was sitting there earlier. Lump was watching this. He thought that Yetch was basically cultural appropriation. He was offended.
2: Yes. Yes, I can believe that. He was offended. That's why he's refused to come in the scene. I can totally understand that. You I know? can totally understand that. I'll have a chat with him. I
1: thought him he's not getting paid. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so after that bit of time wasting, after we've met Yetch... The guests start arriving at the castle. And, yeah, we're then introduced to everybody for what's effectively the third time.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Like, Ooh. Mm. It gives us another chance to hear the invisible man, who doesn't have a big part in this, really. He no. But there, he's really going for a Claude Rains-type voice. Mm-hm. Uh, although my research told me that, in fact, he was not trying to imitate Claude Rains... He was trying to imitate some other guy who played the Invisible Man years later. Right. I can't, I can't remember the name of, but to me, there was certainly traces of, of Claude in that vocal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we finally get everyone assembled around the dinner table where the Baron makes his announcement. Mm. Says, I've, I've perfected the formula, um, and then he tells him he'll be naming his successor the following night so that all of the infighting begins between the monsters to take over. Now, this should be the real meat of the film, shouldn't
2: it? It really should. This is this is our inciting incident, and this,
1: yeah, this should be where it all kicks off,
2: but alas.
1: So instead, um, we, we get an excuse to show off the animation with another musical number. mm mm-hmm. um, And this time, it's it's the house band, Little Tibia and the Phibias. They yeah. appear as like a 60s beat group. You know, very much mm-hmm. sort of, of its time, that's fine. They're like, they're skeletons in ginger bobwigs. wigs. Now, their, their song, Mr Mummy, it's led by a Hammond organ. So, yes. obviously, none of the four members is playing a keyboard of any sort. Who's in charge here? Uh-huh, yeah. Is, is that oh, yeah. nitpicking?
2: Is that it? No, no. For, I, I pick up on that kind of thing all of the time. They do a lot of it in... Um, Hanna-Barbera cartoons You know where they insist That the characters Can play musical instruments And are also An accomplished Musical combination Yes yes. Uh, You'll always find that Yeah it gets on my nerves This is uh, Well to be honest We we just praised this film For attention to detail And that's one of the Well yeah you know Where it lacks But yeah They can animate Mm -hmm. Almost anything they want Apart from things That they can actually hear (laughs) I, I can put up with that So long as we don't Get another scene With an animated Phyllis Diller In her underwear Oh (laughs) <laughs> Nobody needs that
1: Nobody that, needs that That is after another musical scene though We get Francesca and Dracula dancing on the balcony Because you know we need more music This film should be 45 minutes long really Come on
2: Yeah 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 We could have done with another 10 minutes of the Invisible Man in his dressing gown I love that dressing gown I want that dressing gown I did like yeah, when you see him floating along
1: You've basically just got the dressing gown and the dark glasses Floating around And again I'm like how have they done
2: that Yeah, I'm mystified as to how they've done that
1: I love this, I'm assuming there's like rods Just out of, you know, behind the model or whatever But absolutely Uh amazing
2: It's really clever, yeah So we get a few more scenes with Phyllis Diller The narrative filler Mm -hmm. Yeah, Francesca has teamed up with Dracula Their allies in in bringing down Felix Yeah They want to get rid of of Felix Francesca's just all wrapped up in luring Felix To different places uh, In an attempt to knock him off, basically
1: well, well, you've skipped forward, because at the 55-minute point of this hour-and-a-half yeah. film, Felix isn't even on the island. Actually, yes, yes. He, he finally staggers his way ashore, and he meets Francesca and the Baron on the beach. Then, yeah, she shows hapless Felix around the island, with a view to having him sort of accidentally killed, so that she can be next in line for control of the organisation. So we get lots of visual farce here. I'm fine with this. Something's happening. It's cool. mm hmm do you think there are just too many characters in this film to be used properly?
2: I think so. I can And I, I see why they wanted to bring it in, because it's a party, of course it is. Oh, it is, yeah, um, but there's
1: nothing for most of them to do. They just no, turn up, say, a line. You know, they're not even in the background of a lot of the scenes.
2: This is a benchmark for why we shouldn't be constantly putting out multi-doctor stories for Doctor Who. <laughs> Fair, OK, yeah. <laughs> you know? But still the fans won't be told. But anyway, that's another story. Uh, um, But yeah.
1: We get another musical number, Stay One Step Ahead, where Boris Karloff finally realises his part in a musical means he's going to have to get involved. Uh, He doesn't really sing. It's more like an old man rapping.
2: It's the Rex Harrison way. Yeah,
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of this in here, with the Baron explaining to Felix... That, like you know, he's what the organisation he's going to be taking over, that this feels like it should be happening in the first half hour of the film, not the last one.
2: Yeah, this should be the build-up so that we get the it's, it's a build-up to the threat. Yeah, the ensuing action should be Felix trying to avoid the entrapment of others, etc. But no, as you absolutely accurately say, obviously he
1: isn't killed as they're walking around there. All of these attempts fall flat. It's mainly Dracula, but yeah, all of the attempts mm. to having bumped off full flat, Francesca suddenly falls in love with Felix, apparently, mm-hmm. after after he slaps her out of a tantrum. Uh, yeah. Now, I thought her all act here, I thought this was going to be the next part of her subterfuge, mm-hmm. but then we go into another musical number which suggests she's genuinely emotionally attracted by physical assault, which I guess is the 1960s for you.
2: Well, there you are, right? <laughs> <laughs> like from, a, from a man who's who's effectively the... the um. The inspiration from for Seymour from Little Shop of Horrors, really. I mean, you know. that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So we're on the home straight now. We've got 15 minutes of the film left. Uh-huh. All of the monsters staging all-out assault on Phoenix, Francesca and the Baron. Because at this point, it's just like, we kill all of them, we take the potion, then we decide who's in charge. That's fine, right? Mm-hmm. So it's basically like the previous half hour, only more chaotic... And then King Kong comes out of the sea for reasons which are not explained.
2: They keep mentioning It at the start of the film. Have you invited It to the party? No. And I hope he's not going to get an invite. And It is, of course, turns out to be King Kong. They're not using King Kong's name, obviously, for copyright.
1: Oh, is that it? I didn't get that. Because, yeah, yeah, he's not referred to as King Kong. I didn't know he was going to be It. I I thought they were just like, oh, lads, lads, lads. We've realized a model that we haven't put in. Well I've animated the film now. I don't care, we're putting it in. Haven't come out of the water.
2: Francesca writes to it and invites him to the party. That's Get what you. she's doing. You there know when she go. falls down the trapdoor? Right. i she's, I, like, I she's missed like all of this. I, I, okay. Well, yeah, she's like, oh I'll fettle you. And that's when that's what she's writing the letter to, yeah. Silly me, I've only watched it twice on the prep for this. Uh... <laughs> To be fair, though, you are lulled. Because this is, regardless of the supposedly spooky imagery, this is a cosy film. And Mm -hmm. you are lulled into a hypnotic sense of apathy. Yes. So, yeah, these kind of events can just slip you by. These kind of key events.
1: So how come when it is outside the castle, when we see him, like, you know, on his rampage, His hand alone is about five times the size of any of the towers themselves. Mm -hmm. But when we cut to an interior shot, he can reach in through the window.
2: Yeah, convenient, isn't it?
1: Have a look at the show notes. There's pictures in there of this, peggymanpod.com. Where is the fucking consistency? This is what I mean about no one having time to change this once they'd watched it back. It's like there was two different teams working on this.
2: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Or they couldn't afford a bigger model for the castle. But, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, well... Maybe it's another um, inspiration for Hanna Barbera because they did that kind of thing all of the time. So, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I don't mind it so much if it's in drone animation. It bothers me more with model making because you're like, they can't have an exterior shot of him reaching into the window because of the way the no. models are made.
2: Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So,
1: the logic of it happening inside is fucking insane. So, it destroys the castle completely, belts Yetch out over the horizon, scoops up everyone else except for Felix and the Baron for the finale. turns out all this film needed all along was a 200-foot ape to fuck shit up.
2: Yes. Yes. G- uh, vibes of the uh, Chewitt's advert from the 70s with that oh, little bit. Yeah, then.
1: definitely. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So we get the um, the Baron and all of his zombies in their biplanes. To get, it gives like a bit of a tribute to the final scene from King Kong.
2: It does. Nice That's little fine. Uh, homage.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it puts Francesca down because the Baron asks it to. I'm sure that worked better in the script, meeting. Yeah. Um, Felix is out in a boat on the ocean. Uh, she swims up, sails off with him. And then the Baron sets off his ultimate weapon, which is effectively a nuclear explosion, right? Right. Killing everyone. Killing, yeah. killing everyone on there, himself included, which feels like a surprisingly dark ending.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> because considering the supernatural tone of the whole thing, it's been quite light up until now.
1: Yeah, you know. It's, it's um, a pantomime, really. So we're left as the film closes with Francesca and Felix on the water in the boat.
2: And I will say, does the ending not feel a bit rushed to you, though?
1: Oh, well, you mean the whole climax of the film? Yeah. 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 So that's where the parents are like, right, I'm going to blow everyone up. Cause yeah. And you're like, what? You're, you're In a plane, you could literally just fly away now and let the big ape eat all of those, I'm sure, anyway.
2: Yeah.
1: It doesn't matter... If the horror films have taught us anything over the years, is that the bad guys can come back in sequels. That's fine. True. And, you know, I'm true. not worrying about continuity. It just seems, yeah, it's a very blunt instrument to close the film with. Mm-hmm. Um, we do get a little coda with Francesca and Felix in which she reveals to him that she was actually created by the Baron.
2: That's right. Which I took for granted anyway. Well, yeah, me he, as well.
1: He does but, call her his creation. That's right. <laughs> but, yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah, and that's to be fair, Felix isn't in that scene, so maybe he hasn't picked no, up on true. it. He is a of bit course, thick. Of, course, of course. We just um, need a reminder of it to wake us up. Yes. But then he comes out with this.
0: Wow, well, Francesca. None of us are perfect. Are perfect. Are perfect. Are perfect. Are perfect. Are perfect.
1: The implication there is that he's a machine as well, right? Yeah. Like, this is a, a prototype of Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like this might have been a good thing to have brought up earlier when they were padding the whole fucking thing out with dance numbers. Right. I'd forgotten about that twist. I had completely forgotten about it. It, it doesn't land long enough to be a twist. The film just ends. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: all right, yeah. <laughs> the Baron has already said that Felix is his sister's son. So unless uh-huh. his sister is either another scientist or, I don't know, yeah. It, it doesn't make sense. It's a nice little bit to have at the end, but it makes
2: no sense. Quite rightly, You say? It's the end. Mad Monster Party. Mr Blackout, how many pegs are you going to place upon the Invisible Man's Fez?
1: Well, as you may have gathered, I think there is much to be improved about Mad Monster Party. But for the production values and the aesthetics, I've got to give it 7 out of 9.
2: I'm with you completely all of the way. Yes. Um, Do you know what? This is perfect viewing. For a bunch of stoner goths to watch in a mate's basement flat at four AM.
1: I was gonna say, you know what, if you have it on in the background when you're having a Halloween party, boom, that's what it's there for. That's fine.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know. Like anything <laughs> like anything made with precision and care, it's gonna have its faults, but this is to be consumed slowly and you haven't got a choice because of the the, 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 the way it just rumbles on. Anyway, it's to be enjoyed over time. So yeah agree seven out of nine boom but the question carved carefully into every pumpkin aligning the neighborhood pavements on the way to the port where the ship is in the film is how many frames per second will it take you to yodel up the mountain like some of the more questionable animation in here (laughs) two
1: Mad Monster Party features the majestic tones of Boris Karloff of course, who trod the boards in July 1966 for an episode of The London Palladium Show in the company of... Millicent Martin, who was still on stage 14 years later for The Night of 100 Stars with...
2: Peggy Mount. This will suit me nicely, thank you. Expertly done, expertly done. Very good, very good. How
1: about yourself? Would you join me at the top of this heaving volcano?
2: Oh, I really will. Mad Monster Party features the challenging warblings of Phyllis Diller, of course, who checked into Claremont for a 2001 episode of Diagnosis Murder, along with... Ian Ogilvy, Who belted out a gooden in The Night of 100 Stars with... Hanging on. Where's me dosh? Nice. Nice, nice, nice. Right, uh, that's that. I've just turned over a tarot card revealing the Ace of Swords, which means that Blackout has got your socials.
1: Yes, thanks once again for slithering in to be with us. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email peggymountpod at gmail.com. We are peggymountpod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you missed it on social media, we've got an online shop now. As you know, we don't run a Patreon, so we have amazing merchandise instead. T-shirts, cups, magnets, the lot. Just search for the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour on redbubble.com. Hashtag buy the things. In the meanwhile, five-star ratings are always welcome on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to us, and you can check out the show notes for this and all of our other episodes at PeggyMountPod.com.
2: It's as simple as that. It really is. We'll be back in a few days with another creepy casting of the pod to flavour your Halloween with horror. Until then, keep mountain.